This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. Don't forget you can listen to Times Radio's biggest show. Uh, go to your uh, Times Radio app. You can get that free on whatever device you're listening to me on right now. You can uh, listen on DA- DAB Radio or on your smart speaker as well. Listen live 10 till 1, Monday to Friday. You get the best bits on the podcast. Coming up today, it's Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's Unpacked. Patrick McGuire and I pause the action live from the House of Commons. As Keir Starmer gets to have a go at Boris Johnson just a couple of days after, well, quite a lot of his MPs had a go at Boris Johnson. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, as ever, we kick off with a columnist panel. And on a Wednesday, it's Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. We've already heard him. There's Robert Crampton. Morning. Morning, Matt. Nice to have you with us. And beaming in from outer space is Alice Thompson. Morning, Alice. Morning. Why out of space? Is it Devon? No, I'm in London, actually. No, I just can't be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a sick child at home. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how, do you, how do you feel now, man? Shamed, <laughs> as I often am. As I often am. Uh, I wonder if you're going to blame strikes, but I think the tubes are at least running today. Uh, but the train... Let's talk about the train strike, because mm. it's sort of... Um, I think it's a really interesting issue as to where we are on the, the sort of the politics of strikes. Mm. And... Uh, the Labour Party and the Tory Party. I mean, you know, the top story in the Times right now is uh, that uh, Boris Johnson is being urged to keep the promises that the Tories have made at various points to pass, as was in the Tory manifesto, pass a new law to limit the fallout of rail strikes. I'm not sure they could do it in the next couple of weeks. No. Uh, but they um, they promised to introduce a requirement for minimum service during walkouts, which would stop all-out strikes. Uh, the RMT is planning a walkout on June the 21st, 23rd and the 25th. Yeah. What do you think, Robert? I think, as ever with Boris Johnson, he's had a stroke of luck. I mean, probably the best thing that could have happened to him right now would be a, uh, a strike, an unpopular, inconvenient strike, meaning that people can't get to Glastonbury or the test match in Leeds or Wimbledon or whatever. Uh so that's probably about as good as it's going to get for Boris Johnson at the moment, and he's probably hoping it's going to get, it'll go ahead and he can make nice noises and try and put Starmer on the spot in terms of whether he opposes it. I think it's fairly easy for the Labour Party to oppose the strike, and they probably have already, haven't they? Uh, but 
in terms of the legislation, now that's not gonna. I mean, I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon, is it? I don't want to see some big legislation limiting the impact. It's of, unlikely. I think it's unlikely yeah. to get through. Yeah. Do you think? Um, do you think that's why, Alice, that the, the Boris Johnson can turn it to his advantage? Because actually, I do wonder whether sometimes. In politics, if you're already in a hole, sometimes things that might work to your advantage don't. And actually, if Boris Johnson is unpopular, does he get blamed for not doing something? To you know, who gets to blame? I suppose that's the question. Is it the unions, or do well, the unions manage to pin Boris the blame on the time? Yeah, yeah. No, I think actually, I my instinct this time is to blame him again and go, God, not you. Know, <laughs> you, you said we weren't going to have strikes, and yet again, you've done nothing about it. So it's a sense of. You know, of course you can say let's have no more strikes, but unless you do something about it, they're going to continue to happen. And I think people are very worried about petrol as well. So mm. you know, the idea now that you're going to have to get in your car if you want to go anywhere is worrying people too. So, they're, you know, I think after two years of pandemic, the idea that you're grounded yet again is very difficult for people and is very worrying. On the other hand, they have got used to it to a certain extent, so we've got more used to working at home. And well, it that's just what I wanted, that... actually, because the, the, um, uh, I was listening to, there was a guy from the RMT who was on breakfast this morning, mm. and he was saying... Uh, um, Asma asked, "Why are you doing it every other day?" Well, um, yeah. And he said, "Well, because it needs to be effective, uh, and so basically causing as much disruption as possible." Well, yeah, then you get yeah, you get two for the price of one, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, but then I wonder whether that's right. That actually is its impact. I mean, it'll be annoying, but I mean, will its impact be limited because people can do their jobs from home? Uh, I think it's not a... as be disruptive as it might have been. It's going to be disruptive if the freight is disrupted. Yeah. I think because isn't yeah. I think a lot of fuel is is uh, is moved around by by. Uh by railway rather than by uh, tankers on the rail. And also you think about things like Glastonbury and sports events. They haven't happened for so long that people who bought these tickets are going to be absolutely desperate yeah. to go to these events. Although, and they're not going to be able to go if they have although, to go by car. I mean, it's, if you're going to Glastonbury, then it's annoying. If you're not going to Glastonbury, mm -hmm. people moaning about not being able to get to Glastonbury. <laughs> uh, yes, is I, suppose, a, yeah. I mean, the worst thing about this strike doesn't, yeah. is, is that it means we're going to have, for the next two or three weeks, vox pops of people talking about their train journey, Yeah, which is one of the most tedious. I think that, <laughs> that is tedious. I mean, the point is that with, with uh, wherever it is, the inflation's set to hit 10%. You can, this is not going to go away. Uh, so I guess the question is whether people will have some sympathy with the striking well, railway men and yeah, women, yeah, yeah. because which they don't usually, and I don't think they have for the tube in London, but yeah. they might they might have on this occasion because they think, well, yeah, cost of living's going up ten percent. Uh, you know, I could do with a pay rise, and and uh, so maybe maybe it's not the the the, the silver bullet that Johnson would hope for. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it, Alice? And a lot of it actually comes down to uh, who wins the PR war on this. Yeah. Do, do, yeah. do the unions persuade the passengers? Yeah, well, do, the, do the unions persuade passengers to think, yeah, we're all struggling. You know, I yeah. understand where they're coming from. Or, and this is definitely what's happened in the past, do the Conservatives manage to portray the unions so that passengers end up thinking, well, I'm not getting a pay rise. Yeah. Why should you get one? And that, that's the... It's, it's, it ends up actually so I think being people a... definitely feel quite <laughs> yeah. strongly that, that, that they shouldn't be striking. But at the mm. same time, I think they look at the government and think, God, you need to start sorting this stuff out. And the problem is then they're going to blame them for not sorting it out on the fact that they're looking at themselves and having internal arguments and disputes and you know, leadership thoughts. And, and that's the problem is that they're going to look as if they're not being efficient and effective. Whereas before... I'd have thought they'd probably have been given the benefit of the doubt. I also think that it's time that trade unions came up with more effective strategies than just simply going on strike. <laughs> Especially when you've got you, you've got potential for public sympathy, uh, you can. You, there are ways of campaigning and to to gain more public sympathy without 
doing this yeah. without alienating people when you've got a good, you know, you might have a good case. And also, the book, um, uh, uh, the guy this morning was, oh, I've forgotten his name, but he was saying that he, they were doing it because they wanted uh, pay rises yeah. and job security. Uh-huh. Well, if, if Network Rail or the train company's only got a limited pot of money, yeah. and actually that pot of money is shrinking because fewer people are going on the trains, uh-huh. you know, commuting and that sort of thing, you can't, that's not maths, you can't have... <laughs> Pay rises. I mean, the, the ultimate thing is probably going to mean fewer people working in the railways. Yes, I think so. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I'm sort of fairly conscious whenever I go on the tube, London Underground, or on the network rail, that there doesn't seem to be a staff shortage. Yeah. If anything, it's slightly the opposite. Yeah. There's a bunch of people, guys, and they are they are mostly men, st- sort of standing around without anything. It's not obvious what they're doing. Now, I'm reluctant to criticise people who. Uh, Work hard and earn a lot less than I do. I think that's that's kind of uh, the poor form, yeah. But no, I don't think they can have both. Yeah, uh, I don't think I no. You can't. Uh, you, you certainly can't have job security in a in, in a shrinking uh, and, and industry. That's, that's where if you start complaining about those things, people who work in the private sector think, well, I've not had a pay rise. I've not got job security. You know, and it becomes an well, us and them thing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It'll be interesting how that PR... And then you start uh, talking about pensions as well. How that PR right? war starts, yeah. starts playing out mm. over the coming weeks. Uh, no, but, but, you know, whether you work for the railways or not, um, uh, we're all feeling very yeah. anxious, Alice, that you've written about in your column today. And <laughs> and the need to get... Uh, to, who can lead us out of this age of anxiety, you ask? Well, it's because just there's so much going on at the moment that I actually think the whole country felt slightly like Prince Louis after the, you know, when he'd gone through two days of Jubilee celebrations and you're on a sort of sugar high. You've had five years of, <laughs> of all this and you just can't really cope anymore. It's total overload that we've had so much of Brexit and then we've had so much of pandemic and then we've got the cost of living crisis. And then on top of this, we've got, you know, all these internal feuds in the Tory party. And, and I think it's just been, so, and then the war in Ukraine, <laughs> it's just been more and more and more. And I think we've, particularly because you've now got social media, you get these images just flashing up the whole time on Instagram, the children have it on TikTok. You know, you've got the news just the whole time. And it's really that we've got all this overload, that everyone's incredibly anxious. You've got all this adrenaline. And then you can't even go on holiday, A, because it's so expensive. We're all panicked about, you know, inflation going up. But B, because you look on the news and they're just these incredibly long queues. So, you know, you don't want to go to the airport. And, and actually, you might not even have a passport because that's probably stuck somewhere in some, you know, civil service bureaucracy. So it's that sense that everything just keeps going wrong but, and you just need some leaders to sort it out. I mean, apart from that, Alice, everything's OK. Yeah? <laughs> well, I was, one of my favourite fav- polling trackers, and that's, a, that's only a sentence you could use, I'll tell you about it, is YouGov asks the question every week, broadly speaking, which of the following best describe your mood and or how you felt in the past week? Please select all that apply. And because they've been doing it for uh, three years now, right. and consistently, 39, 40, 41, 42% of people say they are stressed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Maybe I, that's the same 41% who voted to get rid of Boris Johnson on Monday. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's yeah. why they're stressed. Uh, I, I, Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I agree. I think I, I agree with Alice's column and, and, the, and the figures are pretty pretty uh, convincing. I mean, and, and, and anecdotally, you think... I, I guess you are stressed. and One is stressed. I am stressed and tired quite a lot of the time. Uh, and... You want, yeah, and you, your suggestion that we had a, a kind of a boring politician. I mean, poor old Jeremy Hunt always gets mentioned at this <laughs> stage. Uh, 
I don't know how boring he is or not. He was described this week as Theresa May in trousers. Right. As if nobody's ever seen Theresa May (laughs) in trousers. Theresa May in trousers is Theresa May. Yes, that's right. Famously Uh, in those leather trousers. Yeah. 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 I mean, she could be, is she Jeremy Hunt in a dress then? Or in kitten leopard skin heels? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. The bit of competence would be nice. I mean, I think there are some competent people in the government, uh, you know, Gove and Sajid and so forth. But as you said in your column, they they spend all their time defending the indefensible, so rather than doing what they're supposed to be doing. So that doesn't... We're not getting any less anxiety from the government, that's for sure. Uh, But then you've written about uh, the prospect of working less. Do you think that would help, the full-day week? Uh, I think it would help some people, and I think in some, I think for a lot of jobs, and we, uh, we all sort of know what they are, uh, and the industries that they're in, uh, it wouldn't make much difference, to be honest. Uh, but some jobs, you know, you're trying to do, uh, get 100% of the output for 80% of the time. That isn't obviously possible in certain industries where you've got to be there, yeah. like uh, hospitality or, or uh, care. Uh, but in some jobs... But then actually we spoke to somebody who ran, ran a fish and chip shop this week and he yeah. said he was doing Yeah, he's it. in the scheme, isn't he? Yeah. Part to, so it's not the same people doing, you know, trying to do their same amount of work, but it's yeah. just actually you can... Giving people essentially a full-time wage, but they do it in four days, yeah. is better for retaining... You know, they're doing two days on, two days off. Sure. You know, trying and I think, to keep yeah. people in industries th- which have struggled to recruit. And, I think and that's it worked that. in New Zealand, didn't yeah. it? So, I mean, that's the thing. They've, they've trialled it and amazingly it does work. It seems very counterintuitive. Yeah. And I, I think mean, the that, problem I think is people want more flexibility rather than the four days. So I think yeah. quite a lot of people with childcare would probably say actually what they want to do is be able to get home in time, which sounds like a luxury. But actually, when you yeah. go to places like Amsterdam, you know they do all clock off work yeah. at two o'clock and go home and have lunch with their children. And, and I always find it rather extraordinary. But their productivity levels are higher than ours. So there, I, there is a. I think there's a good conversation to be had around. I think I'll so be too. amazed if the fish and ship shop do do well because mm. as. as Robert says, you know, it's actually, it's the number of customers that you're actually serving yeah. in the end. Isn't it? Yeah, but it's a real, I think this is the origin of the five-day week in the 1930s. Yeah. The Boots, Boots uh, pioneered it because they wanted people to, uh, you know, there's a way of keeping more people in the workforce. So, yeah. you know, probably six-day week had been the, the norm up until then. And that's nearly 100 years ago. So as I said in my column, I think it's probably coming, the four-day yeah, yeah. week. Uh, it's interesting for, as well. When it was sort of floated as a sort of Jeremy Corbyn thing, everyone went, oh, you're mad, you're yeah. insane, you yeah. crazy <laughs> Marxist. It's got, it's got the now, flexibility is the key, though. Yeah, like yeah. when they did it in France, they said, well, you cannot work more than 35 hours a week. Yeah. It was a disaster. Yeah. Because some people want to. Yeah, some yeah. people need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but if you, if you don't want to and you don't need to, and, uh, then, yeah. Yeah. It's worth a go. Yeah, you could definitely squeeze what we do in a few days, can we? I could just yeah, not do, even four. So what if I not even do 15, four. I could just do one long show a week for fifteen hours. Yeah, perfect. That's what I mean. Firemen do, don't they? <laughs> firemen work a fifteen-hour shift and then have a load. Well, we could do know, it on get... double speed. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Even yeah. seven hours. <laughs> 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 all really quickly. We say the same things every week. Exactly. Perfect. 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 Uh, nice to see you. Thanks. For, you thanks. For, thanks for popping in and saying the same things. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton then, of course, you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yes, it's that time on a Wednesday where you grab yourself some popcorn, pour yourself a coffee. And log on to the YouTubes, where you can not only uh, listen to Times Radio's PMQs Unpacked, but watch along live. And if you do log on right now, you'll see Patrick Maguire looking very smart. Uh, thank you. I always do on a Wednesday, just for you. Although we are going for a high-powered lunch after We are going this, for a high-powered lunch so... after, so I look forward to that. Uh, what do we expect uh, from PMQs today? It's one of those sometimes, and you know, there's lots of hundreds of people already online watching along. Uh, the expectation is high. Sometimes when expectation is high, it doesn't always meet those expectations. Yes, particularly because Labour aren't entirely sure what they want to do about Boris Johnson's intense period of difficulty. His inner circle is split over what exactly uh, the point is that they want to make or whether they want to punch that particular bruise because there's an influential circle of opinion around Keir Starmer uh, that would say, look, it's great for us to have a, uh, a wounded Tory minister in office. Also, it's one of those weeks where actually some of the backbench conservative questions will be more interesting, I think, than Keir Starmer's clash with Boris Johnson, not to write off the next 25 minutes before we uh, embark on it. <laughs> well, lots of people are logging on. They're all saying where they are. Uh, Paul, uh, no, uh, Alex says hello from beautiful Chicleo in Peru. Oh, posh. Uh, first time I've managed to listen and watch live. Should be a feisty one today. Uh, Candia, me too. Morning from upstate New York. Uh, Tim says, hello from Drayton near Langport. It's very close to where I used to live. It's the only way to watch or listen to PMQs. We need the sanity you bring to the circus performance every Wednesday. Yeah, I um, I grew up in Coe Rival, uh, Tim, and then moved to uh, Stathe. That's a sentence which will mean something to about 100 people in the world. Uh, someone else is in Old York. Uh, hi from Germany. Good evening from Bangkok, says Ian. Uh, greetings from the Docklands, says Kelly. Um, uh, Craig says good afternoon from Cape Town. Hello from Vienna, says Karen. Blimey, it's a proper international affair today. Uh, let us know. I'll tell you what, uh, go online to the uh, chat on uh, on YouTube. Uh, what do you think Keir Starmer should ask today? Should he ask about... Uh, Boris Johnson and the vote in her conference. Should you put all that to one side and focus on other things, cost of living crisis? Uh, I suspect he won't raise strikes because I suspect that Boris Johnson might 
ask his own questions as to whether or not uh, mm. Labour support the strikes on that. But let us know. Go on, uh, go on the YouTube, search Times Radio. You can watch along. Uh, Patrick Maguire and I. Uh, see, our, we both got our jackets on and everything today. Well, as befits a great state <laughs> occasion, like the first PMQs after a no confidence vote. Um, uh, how is the mood in it? I mean, it might actually be more interesting, and dare I say this, that the, when we do the best of the rest, the backbench questions after the 12.30 news, do you think there'll be any hostile questioning from there? Well, you know, not to, uh, again, not to undermine our own conceit here, but Andrew Mitchell, persistent critic of the Prime Minister, uh, long-time supporter but persistent critic, um, like so many members of the Conservative Party who've uh, had their initial investment in Boris Johnson turned into junk bonds. Um, you know, several uh, women of a certain age could also tell you that. Um, he, he'll have been up and it'll be interesting to see what people like him say. I believe David Davies also has a PMQ as well. So you have lots of people who are with axes to grind and with points to make who will um, be very aware of the gravity of the occasion. David Davies, of course, used PMQs uh, back in January. To, to quote say... Leo Amory and say the name of God, go, yeah. Yeah, we'll wrap uh, Keir Starmer up uh, momentarily in the House of Commons. This is PMQ's Unpacked. Matt Shawley, Patrick Maguire, Times Red Box editor. Uh, loads of you, loads of you logging on. Here we go then. Uh, let us know where you are. Let us know what you think Keir Starmer should ask. Uh, post your questions in the, uh, on, uh, on the YouTubes. But here we go then. This is question number one from Keir Starmer. Thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. I couldn't make out whether that introductory noise was cheers or booze. <laughs> I, joined... I, I think that's a St Paul's joke from Keir Starmer. The, the trouble is, I don't know whether it's directed at me or him. <laughs> I joined the Prime Minister in his comments about carers. Why did his culture secretary, I think, hiding Delicious. along the bench... That's Nadine Gollis. Successive, su successive Conservative governments left our health service wanting and inadequate when the pandemic hit. Just to uh, explain uh, what's going on there, earlier in the week, on Monday, Jeremy Hunt said uh, Boris Johnson should go. Uh, uh, and he wouldn't be voting for me. It's time for change, he said. And the Dean Dois replied to this with, uh, I think it's fair to say, a pretty extraordinary um, series of tweets uh, in which she sort of laid out the details of various conversations she'd had with uh, Jeremy Hunt back in early 2020. Uh, and uh, she was a health minister. Um, and she said, your pandemic preparation during six years as health secretary was found wanting and inadequate. Your duplicity right now in destabilising the part of the country to serve your own personal ambition more so. Uh, you've been wrong about almost everything. You're wrong again now. Um, it's a remarkable salvo for one Conservative MP to fire at another, all the more so given that we learned from this morning's Times that it was directly authorised by Number 10. And even more so when you consider Nadine Dorries was a health minister during a pandemic into which there is now an inquiry uh, to which you will be required to give evidence under oath. And you expect the, uh, the the government council will say, well, Nadine, I refer you to your tweets of uh, <laughs> the 6th of June in which you said we are woefully unprepared. Um, this is a, a common Keir Starmer tactic, though. You know, you weaponise Tory psychodrama and say, look... They're not delivering on your priorities because they're too busy scrapping like ferrets in a sack. I can actually see in the comments whether or not Jeremy Hunt is there. Uh, so looking on the front bench, so what, there's Boris Johnson, then you've got uh, Pretty Patel. There's one, two, three, four, five or so people along the front bench before you get to Nadine Dice. Uh, let's go back then. This is Boris Johnson's Much response. to her disappointment, I'm sure. 
Mr Speaker, everybody knows that when the pandemic hit, it was an entirely novel it was an entirely novel virus for which the whole world uh, was unprepared. Uh, nobody knew, nobody at that stage, nobody knew how to uh, test for it. Uh, nobody knew what the right uh, quarantine rules should be, Mr. Speaker. But as it happened, uh, the UK government and our amazing NHS, uh, our amazing NHS, produced not only approved, not only approved the first vaccine anywhere in the world. We were the first to get it into anybody's arms, Mr. Speaker. And we had the fastest rollout anywhere in Europe. None of which would have been possible if we'd listened to him. I mean, that was the flaw in that question. I mean, it's quite a clever question, needling, needling the internal uh, psychodrama. But it did just give Boris Johnson to wheel out one of his greatest hits. And we heard it a lot this week. He got the big call right on the vaccine. Yes, exactly. It's given him an opportunity to rehearse uh, for the benefit of wavering Tory MPs. Um, the one... Th- basically incontrovertible part of his record, which regardless of the preparedness for the uh, pandemic and regardless of the amount of uh, suitcases of wine consumed in number 10 during, that the big strategic calls Boris Johnson can broadly say um, with a straight face that he got right. So perhaps um, not the best uh, opening gambit from Keir Starmer there. Uh, in terms of uh, questions that Keir Starmer should have asked, Mary says, ask when is the Prime Minister going to resign before or after the time it took his predecessor to resign after she was considered safe after a confidence vote with a better percentage than him? It's a bit convoluted, but it's not a bad, uh, uh, it's not a bad uh, gambit. When will the government reveal a comprehensive housing policy, says Tom, that will renters increase the housing stock? To which Boris Johnson will say, nah, next week. Yeah, exactly. That's all. It's all coming next week. And Simon says, how is scrapping the HS2 Goulburn link in Cheshire and Greater Manchester levelling up? Uh, plenty going uh, and uh, lots yeah, that's, of you, lots of question you, six if there ever there was one. Lots of you asking, uh, saying you should talk about the cost of living. Uh, well, let's go back then. This is uh, PMQ's Unpatched. You can listen on Times Radio, watch along on the YouTube. It's question two from Keir Starmer. I think the Prime Minister just agreed with the Culture Secretary. Perhaps she said it. They didn't deny it. Perhaps, perhaps she said it because it's true. It starts with GPs. People were unhappy with the service they were getting before the pandemic. Not enough GPs. Too hard to get an appointment. That's why he promised 6,000 new GPs. But his health secretary admits he won't keep that promise. Despite the hard work of doctors, people can't see a GP in person. They're unhappier than ever with GP services. If GP provision was wanting and inadequate before the pandemic, what is it now? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I'm afraid he's simply wrong, because uh, what this, uh, uh, he's wrong about what we're doing. Uh, uh, and of course, Mr we've got, to, we've got to clear the COVID backlogs, and everybody understands that. Everybody understands, uh, everybody understands the pressure uh, that the NHS is under. But they are responding magnificently, and I can tell him uh, that uh, thanks to the investments that this government has put in, uh, we now have 4,300 more doctors. Uh, we have record numbers. We have record numbers in uh, in training. Uh, and I, to the best of my right, we have 11,800 more nurses this year than last year, Mr. Speaker, and 72,000 72, in training. And that is because of the investment uh, that we put in, uh, which was opposed by the party opposite. And the only reason we were able to make that investment, Mr. Speaker, is because we have a strong and robust economy. Thanks, thanks to the decisions we took. 
Uh, well, there was quite a, uh, the interesting thing there is I think Keir Starmer's got his finger on something. Talking about GPs, every time we talk about GPs on the radio, we are inundated by people who've had nightmare horror stories of trying to get appointments and so on. Yes, and that's really interesting. It's really interesting that Keir Starmer is striking the same note as David Davis struck in a piece for the Times Red Box this morning in which he said it's all very well and good, the Prime Minister talking about the big calls, and it's debatable as to whether the Prime Minister got all the big calls right, but the Prime Minister can bang on about um, the pandemic, party gate aside, um, his support for Ukraine, yeah, fine. But he said the small calls are what matter to people's lives, the, uh, the knotty issues in public services, not being able to get a passport, queues at airports and indeed an example he cited was not being able to get a doctor's appointment so clearly this issue it all comes back to that d word for boris johnson delivery and that remains the biggest question hanging over him both for both electorates tory mps and the public it's interesting when we did the uh, we did a focus group recently in uh, tiverton and honiton in fact you'll be able to hear on the show tomorrow we're doing one in uh, we're doing one in wakefield tonight uh, ahead of that by-election so we'll be able to hear that on the show tomorrow and gp surgeries came up so much as being like a, one of the, the the big grievances and it's not a surprise that some of the other parties have uh, have picked that up and run with that this time um just uh, i mean all the big hitters i have to say there's there's no no uh, um getting away from uh, pmqs today for the cabinet you've got dominic Raab on one side liz truss on the other side uh, of Boris Johnson. Then you got all the way down, uh, you know, Priti Patel, Sajid Javid. Sajid Javid was sort of leaning over and trying to give Boris Johnson some tips on what to say about the NHS. Then Rishi Sunak, who's carefully positioned himself uh, so he's not on uh, the telly uh, a huge amount. Steve Barker, the Chief of Staff, uh, Nadim Zahawi, and then you get to Nadine Doris. Uh, who's even further down the uh, down the front um, <laughs> down the front bench? Um, uh, lots of you uh, posted comments on the uh, on the YouTube channel as as well. Uh, Richard says GPs are under so much pressure. Lowe's want to retire early. Thanks, Boris. Uh, and Lou points out uh, off, off the back of Boris Johnson uh, giving his um, uh, ringing endorsement on how he's managing the NHS. Uh, points out uh, I thought the NHS was like blockbuster, uh, which is what uh, Sajid Javid's been saying today, and why it needs a major overhaul. It can't both be perfect and needing major reform. Exactly, that's the problem when you knock public services for which you are responsible for delivering and have been for the past twelve years. Here we go then. Uh, it's PMQs unpacked. We'll go back to the House of Commons now. It's question number three from Keir Starmer. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, he, of course he talks big, but. I've got a letter here to the Prime Minister from the Honourable Member from Hereford and South Herefordshire. He said, this is you, Prime Minister, under you the government seems to lack a sense of mission. It has a large majority but no long-term plan. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's Big Plan Act is so tired that even once loyal MPs don't believe him. That's the letter from Jesse Norman we saw this week. it's not just waiting for a GP. Yeah. It's waiting for all NHS treatment. Yeah. Take cancer. For over a decade, waiting times for cancer care have been going up. His solution was supposed to be diagnostic hubs. The Health Secretary has been on a victory lap this week. But here's the rub, Prime Minister. Since they were opened last year, 135,000 extra people are now waiting for scans and tests. Can he think of a better way to describe soaring cancer waiting lists than wanting an inadequate? 
Mr Speaker, it is, in, it is entirely right after the pandemic that people are now coming forward to get their, their cancer tests, and, and, and we, have, we have actively encouraged that, and that is, the, that is the right thing for people to do. But as a result of the community diagnostic hubs uh, that we are bringing in, a hundred of them across the country, uh, Mr Speaker, we are able to cut the times uh, for cancer diagnosis, help people to get their scans, uh, their tests, Faster and, and above all, we can do that, Mr. Speaker, because we're hiring more radiographers, we're hiring more nurses, we're hiring more professionals in our NHS because of the investments that we made, which, as I say, the party of Bevan tragically opposed. Uh, Boris Johnson there, uh, just actually sort of rehashing what he said before. Here's an interesting thought, uh, because Keir Starmer sort of kicks off with Jesse Norman's letter. It was a pretty brutal letter. Mm. Former minister, former supporter of Boris Johnson. Uh, not just sticking in a letter of no confidence, but sticking the boot in as well on Monday. Would it not have been better, given the amount of material that Keir Starmer's got, to do each question... Uh, putting forward not his own views, but, but the, the views, views of, of Conservative MPs like David, Jesse David, Norman. Yes, David, exactly. David, Jesse Norman. Uh, and actually, and, uh, it doesn't need to be about confidence. It could have been particular because there's lots of concerns about particular policies. But get get up, put forward the view, get Boris Johnson to blather on like that. So, well, that wasn't my view, actually. That was the view of Conservative MP for there, Conservative MP for here. I, instead, the Jesse Norman thing got completely lost then. Yeah, it was almost just like a... Like all great journalistic drop intros, you <laughs> it's a conceit you use never revisit uh, over the next 400 words. No, it's its really interesting, isn't it? And because we know this Labour leadership, as you heard from Peter Mandelson on the show earlier, as Peter Mandelson is saying as we speak, is squeamish about making big calls and being bold and ambitious. You know, you might say rightly, given that look how re uh, voters rewarded uh, Labour for having a very bold and very ambitious manifesto in 2019. But that's an easy rhetorical workaround for Keir Starmer. If you don't want to be seen to be making uh, policy commitments that you may later regret, turn the Prime Minister's own MP's words back on him, as you say. But he, Labour, whoever wrote this, doesn't seem to have um, alighted on that rather obvious open goal. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit of a muddle so far. But anyway, we'll go back. Uh, we continue. PMQ's unpacked. Don't forget you can listen along on the radio. You can watch along on the YouTubes. Go to YouTube, search Times Radio, and you can see Patrick McGaw and I in all of our flesh. Uh, right, question number four from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the problem is the cancer weights have been going up for ten years, and they're even higher now. So blaming the pandemic just won't wash. Perhaps the Culture Secretary was talking about the state of NHS buildings. Before the pandemic, the NAO said they were a risk to patients. The government's response, paint jobs and fix-ups, pretending that's the same as building new hospitals. The Treasurer and the Cabinet Office apparently don't think that the refurbs are even going to be delivered. Take University Hospital North Tees. The ceiling is falling in, the roof leaks and staff have to hose down the pipes to stop them freezing over. Failure to fix wanting and inadequate NHS buildings is putting patients at risk, isn't it, Prime Minister? Mr Speaker, this, this line of uh, criticism is satirical, coming from a, from a Labour a Labour government a, a, a Labour, a, a Labour, attacking, our, attacking our hospital building programme, Mr Speaker. Where they, they, were the authors of, they were the authors of the PFI scheme that bankrupted so many hospitals. They were. Uh, 
they, uh, Mr. Speaker, we, what we're doing instead is building 48 new hospitals. Yes, we are. Uh, thanks to the thanks to the colossal, the biggest capital investment programme in the history of the NHS. Uh, and we, we put, uh, from memory, we put £33 billion as soon as we came in, then another £92 uh, to cope with the pandemic, plus another £39 billion in the health and care levy. They opposed, they opposed that funding. They opposed the health and care levy. They don't have a leg to stand on. We're building the foundations of our NHS's, our, our health services' future, and they should support it. That was low energy from, from both of them. It's, you know, what was that? Question four from Keir Starmer? Question four, yeah. Now talking about a roof falling in, in a hospital. Look, worthy stuff, important stuff, and part of the story the Labour Party needs to tell about the government if it's going to win, um, you know, even if it's to make progress in the next election, let alone talk about denying the Tories a majority or indeed winning a majority of their own. But God, the delivery was... Drawn out, plodding, and also, flat. And it's Come not, on. Keir Starmer's not telling a story with this. So the whole argument about these 50, the, the Conservative Manifesto promised 40 new hospitals. And then some guidance was put out by the Department of Health, uh, which defined a new hospital in three ways. It could be a whole new hospital on a new site, or current NHS land, a major new building on an existing site, or a new wing of an existing building, or a major refurbishment of alteration of all but building frame or main structure. So, um... They're not even real hospitals. And the kids are not really telling, you know, the sort of... But also, why are we talking about hospitals? I'm sorry. The Prime Minister has lost the support of 41% of his MPs. It's the first opportunity Keir Starmer's had to uh, talk to him directly. And look, you know, a provincial boy, I care nothing more about the state of Southport and Ormskirk General Hospital. But if Keir Starmer's... Even if Keir Starmer's mentioning, oh, you know, the children's ward, bring back Southport children's A&E right now, I'd say, what are you doing? <laughs> what? Come on! <laughs> I mean, the other thing is, which I find this very odd, is that the government announced that this week was Health Week. Yeah. The, the Boris Johnson's got all this stuff at his fingertips. They're announcing a reform of the event. I mean, you could argue about whether or not it's going to work and all of that. But after straight after PMQ, Saturday January, the Health Secretary is giving a statement on their NHS plans. Why is he giving them government an opportunity to, lay, to, to lay talk out, about the thing he wants to talk about? Talk about. Boris Johnson decided that this week he wants to talk about the NHS. Look at the BBC News ticker that's visible in the studio. The strap, and say you're, you know, you're having lunch in Weatherspoons, or you're in a hospital waiting room. You see that ticket says Prime Minister's questions. Uh, government has done some very big and remarkable thing. Government is hiring more doctors and nurses. Why, why is that ticker not saying Prime Minister denies that he is a liar or whatever? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the point of this half hour every Wednesday, um, as much as it might say something about our democracy that it is, it's political theatre. It's Keir Starmer's one opportunity a week to land on the news bulletins and attack on Boris Johnson or Labour's messaging. And I'm sorry, I don't think he's done that today. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. The, the, the two examples you reached for were sitting in Weatherspoons or waiting at a &E in a hospital. The duality yeah. of man. <laughs> Sometimes I do both the two, in the same day. The, yeah. the two things are not necessarily unconnected. Uh, well, let us see if he gets any better. Uh, brace yourselves. Oh, no. Oh, so we're not going back to Keir Stop. I think we've got a little bit of Lindsay Hoyle from Lindsay Hoyle both fans. of you need to calm down. And there's two over here as well. The four of you could have a very nice cup of tea if you wish. <laughs> Keir Stop. I'll tell you what, go on. As you're here, Patrick. What, uh, what? It's been a long time since we've had a lathe. Oh, don't touch the lathe. Lovely stuff. Here's Keir Stop. Oh, dear. Prime Minister. <laughs> dear, dear. I'm an impression of Mavis on Coronation Street. Pr pr well, 
pretending. Mr. Speaker, pre pre pretending no rules were broken. Prime Minister, he chunters on. Pretending no rules were broken didn't work. Pretending the economy is booming didn't work. And pretending to build 40 new hospitals won't work either. They want him to change, but he can't. As always with this Prime Minister, when he's falling short, he just changes the rules and lowers the bar. In March, he proposed changing the NHS contract. He wants to double the length of time patients can be made to wait for surgery, from one year to two years. On top of that, he scrapped zero tolerance of 12-hour waits at A&E. 24 hours at A&E used to be a TV programme. Now it's his policy. Well, it's Health Week. And he, he's telling all of them... Order! <laughs> Mr Cleverley, we've got a tea party gathering. I'm sure you don't want to be part of it. I will hear the question. The problem is, so do our constituents. I wonder if I were you, and I think one or two of you might be going early. What I would say is, look, I need to hear the question in the same way I expect to hear the answer. So please, Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I, I bet they wish they were this organised on Monday. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, it's Health Week, and he's telling them he's going to turn over a new leaf. So why doesn't he start by scrapping his plans to greenlight wanting and inadequate NHS standards? Prime Minister. I've got to tell you, I, I just think this, this line of attack is not working, uh, Mr Speaker. But it's not, I, it's think not here. I think lots of Labour MPs would agree. It's not working because they refuse to approve. Once again, I think the two of you need to calm down. So please, we don't, hang on, we don't want to see an empty front bench, Prime Minister. Look, uh, we've not only raised the standards uh, in the NHS, uh, we're not only reducing uh, waiting times for those uh, who have had to wait the longest, Mr Speaker, but what we're doing more fundamentally is doing what the people of this country can see is simple common sense, and that is using our economic strength to invest in doctors and nurses and get people on the wards, get people, uh, give, give, giving people their scans and their screens and their tests in a more timely manner and getting uh, and taking our NHS forward. We are on target, Mr Speaker, to, under, thanks to this Government, to recruit 50,000 more nurses. Thanks to, thanks to the investments... I'm just going to repeat this, because he doesn't seem to have heard it so far. Oh. Thanks to the investments <laughs> that that party opposed. Patsy, can I explain why they opposed them? Oh, dear, oh dear, oh dear. Right. What a mess. So, um... Simultaneously, but two texts arrive at the same time. Uh, Sue on the Weeble says, and Matt and Patrick listen to the same PMQs as me. Starmer doing a great job hiring, highlighting the Tories' failure on the NHS. Tony uh, texted exactly the same time. Keir Starmer is taking penalties at a goal with no, no goalkeeper and still kicks the ball anywhere but the goal. Hasn't got a clue, has he? Almost everyone watching on the YouTube channel uh, is being critical of Keir Starmer. Well, look, I wouldn't expect anything less from a resident of the People's Republic of Merseyside. Um, <laughs> well, it depends where you are in the world, I suppose. Look, I mean, 
even Labour MPs will come out of that PMQs thinking, how have we managed to turn this into I a... I don't like to disappoint you, but I've got one more to come yet from into, Keir Starmer. Uh, well, God, <laughs> into a dull uh, NHS procedural, which which is what we've we've had and are having. As you said, there is no attempt to to narrativise this criticism. It is dull and technical. Also, you know, something occurred to me when he said, when Starmer said it's health week, who outside of Westminster... And I say outside of Westminster, who outside of morning email, email <laughs> writers, you know, you're a former, you're an emeritus member of that particular <laughs> guild, and political operatives even know that? Why is Keir Starmer reinforcing the government's messaging? It doesn't make any sense. It's symptomatic of this, you know, too clever by half Westminster bubble thinking that certain parts of the Labour Party are sadly too susceptible to. Tom says, Keir Starmer asking questions gives Johnson the opportunity to look like Joe Root scoring another century. Hopeless. Uh, Fermi with this inept opposition if the Tories keep Tiverton the way on to another 80-seat majority. Uh, uh, just so, so many of you. I do wish Keir Starmer would ask more pointed questions rather than giving long-sided expositions. I'm genuinely not just picking out the answer that very, with the exception of lovely Sue on Wirral, on the Wirral, uh, there's a lone voice in saying that Keir Starmer's doing a good job. But it's very confusing because throughout the Sue Gray saga, Keir Starmer has, by and large, risen to these parliamentary occasions. As we've noted several times over the past few months, his performance at these big set piece events has improved. And, you know, when you and I bumped into a senior shadow cabinet minister very close to Keir Starmer on the Commons Terrace the other night, um, you know, a certain amount of drink had been taken on, on everybody's part, I think. Uh, but he, uh, sorry, they, uh, <laughs> he, they or she said, uh, you know, joked that, you know, we could expect a lacklustre performance from Keir Starmer. And we were all joking, but... We've we've had it. I don't even need to get bogged down in the, the Labour Party and, and, and penises. That's an entirely separate uh, issue. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons. Uh, question number six from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, raising taxes because you failed to grow the economy isn't a plan for the NHS. Yeah. And everyone sitting behind him knows it. Members of this cabinet admit that Conservatives left our health system wanting and inadequate when the pandemic hit. He's been in power for three years and things are getting worse, not better. Fewer GPs, more waits for cancer tests, buildings still crumbling and he's changing the rules to cover up his failure. And there is a real human pain as a result. Today I spoke to Hamza Semakula. Hamza is 20 and he plays semi-professional football for Hendon. He tore his ACL earlier this year. Because of the two-year wait for surgery, he had to crowdfund for a private operation. I also spoke to Akshay Patel. Last year, his mother woke up unable to breathe. Akshay called 999 six times. In his last call, he said, I rang an hour ago for an ambulance as she had difficulty breathing, and now she's dead. Even he must admit that Akshay, Bina and Hamza deserve better than a wanting and inadequate government utterly unable to improve our NHS. Uh, Mr Speaker, I think everybody in the House has... Uh, sympathy with 
uh, Akshay and uh, the other constituents and, the, and their families and the, the other constituents uh, that he that he mentions, Mr. Speaker, and, uh, and I, 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 I share uh, their, their feelings. But uh, when you look at what this government is doing, uh, the massive and, and I, I, I must say this to him: uh, we are making colossal investments in our NHS. Uh, we are cutting waiting times. Uh, we are raising standards. We are paying nurses more. We are supporting our fantastic NHS. And by the way, he continually came to this. I just remind him of this and said that we had the worst COVID record in Europe. Turned out to be completely untrue. Uh, he, still ha- he, st- he, still, he still hasn't. Re- he still hasn't retracted it. Well, Captain Hindsight, we're doing it, Mr. Speaker. We can make those investments because of the strength of the UK economy, because of the fiscal firepower that we have to deploy. We have the lowest unemployment now since 1974, and we are going to continue to grow our economy for the long term. He asked about, he asked about the mission of this government, Mr. Speaker. It is to unite and level up across our whole country, to unleash unleash the potential of our entire country, the biggest tutoring programme in history for young people, raising literacy and numeracy standards uh, for 11-year-olds from 65% adequacy to 90%. That is the highest objective I think a government could achieve. Expanding home ownership for millions of people, as my right honourable friend uh, for Duluth and I will do, uh, for millions of people who currently don't have it, cutting the costs of... No, Cutting the costs of business to make this the enterprise centre of Europe. That is our vision. Creating high-wage, high-skilled jobs for this country. And as for jobs, I'm going to get on with mine, and I hope he gets on with his. Boris Johnson there um, noticing that Keir Starmer hadn't got him any knee in the news agenda, so he's offered it up anyway. As for jobs, I'm getting on with mine. I mean, it's the closest to the, the big political story of the week. Uh, yes, and it's remarkable that, look, you could see what Keir Starmer was trying to do, pointing to Boris Johnson's selective relationship with rules and co- codes of conduct. You can see why the Labour Party want to talk about the serious issues of um, public services, the NHS, um, indeed, when most people, indeed the Times, uh, top leader in the paper today, makes the point that this is a government that lurches from crisis to crisis. Its announcements are merely attempts to manage the media when it uh, gets into sticky situations and a rarely substantive or well thought through or developed policy solutions to the pressing challenges that face this country. But still, come on. Uh, come on. <laughs> That was so boring. That was if nothing so, else. We've been critical of Keir Starmer in the past, and Boris Johnson is 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 uh, a master at completely changing the subject and talking about other things. But as an exercise in not making the most of an opportunity, and to to it, identify it was a the government, of Keir limitations, the, the government briefed this is Health Week. We're going to make a series of big announcements this week on the NHS, and that's what Keir Starmer chose to talk about for half an hour. What what I what I just find remarkable still and. Look, there are no shortage of even great sympathisers and fans and aides to and shadow cabinet allies of Keir Starmer who will make this point with varying degrees of diplomacy. He's not a great parliamentary performer. That's not his strength. That's not why he was elected. But two years in, you at least expect him to be able to ad-lib a little bit, think on his feet, respond with a degree of fleetness of foot. Indeed, the one occasion where he did, that pantomime dame, oh dear, was the biggest laugh of the session. That was a flash of the parliamentary reformer uh, and leader of the opposition Labour could have at the dispatch box. But, you know, if you're a Tory MP who's worrying about the next election, but but nonetheless, you know, voted, swallowed your doubts and voted for Boris Johnson, and you watch that, regardless of the, you know, inane answers the Prime Minister gave to most questions, on a purely 
you know, campaign basis, right? You look at those two performers and think, you know what? Six weeks against this guy, you know, could we could we really pull off the unthinkable here? Is this not Ed Miliband, Neil yeah, Kinnock, yeah. Redux? That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.